Hey, I'm Cena. I'm the host of the Talk Too Much podcast. Sorry to take up about 20 seconds of your time. If you could please just hit that subscribe button, show us some love, show us some support. It goes a long way for me. Um, we're working really hard. We're trying to grow this show. So any support does not go unnoticed and it goes a long way. Let's get into the show now. Coach, do you just, do you still see these guys in yeah, the gym yeah, though? Yeah, I told you no. Just nah, I'm just going to sit down. We're good though. Um, as a coach though, before we get into this, you see, uh, I saw your practice last time I saw you. Um, it was actually a great experience when I came in. Remember that? To shoot for Ryder. Um, and how is Ryder, by the way? He's good. He's good? Yeah, he's good. Uh, yeah, he told me he has like a big six-fight stretch coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it could, get, yeah, it could get him into the next level. But I noticed that <clears throat> I think that was about four or five months ago. And when I came, I remember you were that day at practice. You were really good. I, it was my first time. It was my second time watching. You were really good at holding everybody accountable. Everybody there was like, it was like a friendship. It's like mm -hmm. you guys were like family there. Um, I wanted to ask you, how have you been? How has this last year's been? How has this last year has been? And how do you feel, you know, this is about to be a big year for you? Uh, I feel good. I mean, honestly, it, I, I just, I try to take it one step at a time. I, I don't try to really get, I really don't try to get. Um, Sorry to interrupt. Just speak right into this because yeah, it only yeah. reads out front. Yes, sir. Good to go? Yeah. Cool. Um, you know, for me, it's just it's just really one day at a time. I, I try not to look too far ahead on, on on stuff that I really have no control over, right? Like, um, as far as the year went last year, it was a, it was a trying year, you know, for it everybody. Was. Everybody had ups and downs, but I think for me, it was more about perspective. It's like, well, how can I handle this the right way? How can I be positive and, and reinforce good habits throughout this this pandemic? Meaning, you know, although the gym was closed, we did we did have guys that were training for fights. Um, we kind of made a sacrifices to one another saying, Hey, we're going to stay socially distanced, um, from other people other than the guys in the gym and our families, like a mini bubble, mini bubble basically. So, and that was, that was tough. Like you had to be loyal to one another. It's, it's like being in a relationship, you know? So Francis and I made this pact. Hey man, I'm training with you. You're going home. You're training with me. I'm going home and that's it. Right. So that was that kind of, if you will, little bubble that we had, we, we knew we had Jarzinho, um, but we didn't know when, I when knew, was that fight last year, March, uh, we were scheduled to fight end of March. We and that's when you fought. Jarzinho. No, we fought him in May, May. Okay. May. That was probably the one of the craziest knockouts I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was something else, you know? So, um, we completed, we, we essentially completed an eight week camp. Um, is about two weeks before we're supposed to go to Columbus and then COVID hit, everything's changed. Everything changed. Um, and then that fight got postponed. We hear April Tachi palace, you know, we're going to drive there. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Just kind of stay under the radar, have the fights at Tachi that fell through because of California. Yeah. I remember that. Um, and then we hear possibly Florida, Florida in May. So that was the first, first card. Yeah. You know, was that was, was in Jacksonville. So what did you think about that fight? Cause I remember that fight. I watched it. I actually want to ask your opinion on this. Um, it just said that fight showed me that anytime Francis touches someone, it's over. What did you think from a technical standpoint? It uh, wasn't, that, it wasn't technical. That was at all. I was going to ask you. It yeah. was not technical. Um, and he'll tell you that he was the first to tell me when he got in the cage, he goes, what the fuck was that shit? And what'd you say? What? I just giggled at him. I go, well, he's asleep. <laughs> so I don't really care. But, um, you know, we actually worked on, uh, if you go and replay the combination, it's a high low. So he wants, what he wants to do is establish a jab high and establish a jab low. We call it a high low. 
what he wants to do is look for um, what he does with the lead hand. So Jarzinho, if Jarzinho's lead hand drops, then we know the overhand has a, has a path. The second part to that combination is seeing where Jarzinho's shoulder goes with the overhand. So when he throws the overhand, what Jarzinho does is he rolls his head away from the power, which you're supposed to do. So he gets his head away. But the key read is to where the shoulder goes. So Jarzinho's shoulder opens out and goes towards the cage. Francis's next move should have been a step through left head kick. And that would have covered the distance. So in that fight, it seems like I'm not going to try and he was like swinging wildly. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel as comfortable Francis with his kicks as his punches? He kicks hard, man. He I mean, I'm hard. assuming, yeah. Yeah, he kicks very hard. Now, of course, the you have to look at in a scenario with the overhand, everybody's going to roll their head away from the right hand. They're afraid of the right hand, right? It's like being Roger Clemens and you have this fucking weapon. Everybody's going to look for that weapon, but you always have to have a second pitch in your arsenal, right? You always have to have something to fall back on. So for me, having a lead side variant off of an overhand is very important, meaning I don't want to throw this to where this is the only strike that I have and I'm falling out of my shoes. I want to throw this and see what I can collect data-wise to see what the next opportunity might be. That might be a left hook. It might be a lead uppercut. It might be a left head kick. So prime example is uh, Kevin Lee when he fought Gregor Gillespie. We worked that combination with Kevin was right overhand and calculate which way his head goes because Gillespie tends to shoot to the lead side. So what we looked for was right overhand, left knee. Either we're going to be fine the, 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 it coming out of the shoot, the knee or the head kick doesn't matter. You can kick them or you can knee them. It's all the same. It's all coming out the same, but you can make the adjustment on the fly, seeing which way the guy goes. So what happened with Kevin was where the cage was in proximity, Gillespie ran out of space. So only way he had to go was to his right. And Kevin knew which only way he had to go. So all I have to do is step through and apply the head kick. And you guys run this stuff in training. Oh yeah. So this stuff seems like, people think fighting is just a physical sport, but this stuff is like high IQ. Yeah. Like this is, it takes a smart person to memorize this in the tent heat of battle. Correct. So how do you, number one, as a head coach, is it hard for fighters to like follow these game plans in a fight? Cause this is very technical. Like you're like taught analyzing inches in yeah. the heat of a moment. Um, no, I think most of the guys understand. Now here's the thing is I call it meat and potatoes. So the meat and potatoes in the combination that we're referring to with Francis um, is a jab to an overhand. So high-low, high-low, overhand. So that's the meat and potatoes. Now, here's the analogy I always like to give these guys is Thanksgiving dinner, right? When you go to Thanksgiving dinner, you're always going to have turkey and you're always going to have mashed potatoes on your plate everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. Everything else is a fucking crapshoot, right? Yes, sir. Mom makes string beans. Grandma brings this over. You got this. And you're scooping all kinds of weird yeah, shit on your plate. Yeah, just filling it up. Yeah, Filling it up, right? But the base of that fucking plate is what? Mashed potatoes and turkey. Mashed potatoes and turkey. So my goal is to prepare a bunch of side dishes for you to oh, allow <laughs> you to pick and put what you want on your fucking plate. So you also have to look at skill sets. Dan Ige is not going to throw the best fucking switch kick in the world. He can throw one. He, don't let him hear this. Yeah. <laughs> but we have to. you have to understand your fighter's skill set and what – Uh, weapons are truly available to them. Now, my job is to find the right path to allow these weapons to shine. Make sense? Yeah. So I know Francis has a beautiful left head kick, 
but I know he has to do it by with a step through. So when you throw the overhand, you now walk him off, you step your rear leg to lead, and now you're in an open stance and the left head kick comes. That's where he's better off. Mm -hmm. So my job is to give him the reads, just like in football, right? Read your keys and you know what to do off of the reads. You just rep it. So we go high-low overhand, left hook, high-low overhand, lead uppercut, high-low overhand, double leg. And that helps his instincts in the fight. You just know the instincts in the fight. So if we rep meat and potatoes with 12 side dishes with the, with the variables that come into play, that's when you understand which to go with off of and you, you're saying rounds. his left head kick is his his mashed potatoes or his turkey? I like mean, his second he, pitch? He has he has a beautiful left head kick. Now it's low kicks, right? Off the off the rear side. He can knock your fucking leg off, but he can kick you hard to the head off, off the left side. So I have to go, well, how do I get how do I expose these weapons? How do I make them in viable the, viable yeah. in, the, in the best strong suit, right? So now you now you try to implore where the cage is. Okay, what are my cutoffs? Where are my traps? Each corner post is a trap. I want to try to direct them to a corner post. So those are what I consider choke points, right? 300, right? The Battle of Thermopylae. Oh, yeah, I remember fire, this. Yeah. Put them in a fucking choke point. So if I tell you, here's your exit, I know where your one path is out. You're going to block me out. I want to fucking yeah, trap you. Yeah. Set a trap to that corner post. Makes sense? So, Coach, uh, speaking of Francis, um, you have the heavyweight championship fight coming out in March. Um, I actually wanted to talk, you know, I know very sensitive. I'm not, you're not going to give away any game plans, but I want to talk about Stipe Miocic, if you don't mind. I thought, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I thought he looked not fighting wise. I mm -hmm. thought his shape looked phenomenal mm -hmm. against Daniel. I've never seen him look that good, but I also thought fighting wise, he got hit way too much. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think about Stipe as this upcoming opponent? Opponent, you know, he's ranked as the best heavyweight ever. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you agree. I think he, I do. I do too, because his resume is crazy. Um, what do you think about this? Do you think he's still in his prime? Do you feel good about this fight? I think he's the best he's ever looked. To be quite uh, honest, really with against yeah. DC three. Uh, you know, DC three went down to the last round, right? But again, we're talking about arguably two of the best heavyweights to ever yeah. do it. Yeah, I agree. And and DC and to me, one of the best combative sports. You guys, could argue DC is the best. One hundred percent, right? And I believe I'm pretty sure his only losses at heavyweight are to Stipe. I'm 99.9% yeah. yeah. sure that's correct. Um, so we're talking about two of the best to ever do it. Now flip the script a little bit. DC wins that fight. He's the goat at the heavyweight at the heavyweight division, right? So um, watching Stipe, I think that from what I've seen from him as years gone on, is just an invaluable fucking jump in his fight IQ. You know, he finds ways to win. He did that versus uh, Francis. The first one. First one. Um, he did that again. Which I was shocked. I didn't even see how that would be possible. Do you think it's that... It's fight game. Do you think... So from that first fight, I felt like, number one, Francis was way younger, a lot more uh, inexperienced. And I wouldn't say timid, but he's never fought. Like I thought Stipe fought very technically. For he a did. power fighter, he kept him at bay and outpointed him. Do you see... And that's why I wanted to address for this second fight... I know last time I talked to you, you said Francis's grappling's out the roof now. It's way better. Everything's better. Do you see that uh, first fight being able to play out again in the second fight? I mean, we're going to have to wait and see, right? So we, we have the information from the first fight. We're able to go look back at the first fight and understand, you know, what game plan those guys did. It was obviously rap, grapple, wrestle heavy, put him on his back, tire him out, use movement, all those things. 
So with that information, we're able to take that. And then I'm also able to sit down with Francis and understand where he was at in his career back then. Hey, what didn't you do enough of? Hey, he wasn't he, training with you back then. No, huh? he was in and out of Couture's like, he would do a practice here, practice there, and then he went back out to France and finished out camp there. So he was in Vegas. He was never really at Couture's. He never really started training at our gym full-time until the, the second Curtis Blades fight. So when he started reeling off the four in a row, he was he kind of made Extreme Couture's home. Um, so, you know, with the information that I've had with him and sit down, like these types of conversations, knowing where his headspace was, which is important, knowing the kind of sessions that he had, all that stuff. But really understanding, man, what got you in trouble and, and what do you want to get better at? And immediately, what does he say? He says, my cardio and my wrestling, right? So he said that, oh yeah, of course. Like, Hey, what I have to ask the question and I want to hear what his answer is. We all kind of know it, but once you're able to identify it and know like, Hey, well, I need to get better at wrestling and get better at my cardio. That's easy for me to say, okay, great. Here's how we're going to do it and set a set a plan, set a standard. Now, if he's like, well, I want to work more on my power and more this and more that, dude, if you work on your power, you might get that much better, right? I mean, there's there's not a lot of room that he can get much better on it. Yeah, I mean, he's touches anybody he sleeps on, yeah. But now if we start working on all the little weaknesses that he might have, what happens when those weaknesses become your strengths? I mean, you become unbeatable. You become unbeatable. Yeah. So the answer's, the answer's right there, right? And I call it the boogeyman, right? We all have them. We're all afraid of something, dude. So once you're able to kind of identify who and what boogeyman is in your life, if you're able to conquer those fears, there ain't another fucking thing out there that's going to stop you. And he has to understand that. I actually can uh, relate just in, in my own personal life. Just, you know, it's kind of more so about getting out of your comfort zone, just really pushing yourself. Um, in terms of Francis, though, in that in this fight, do you see Stipe really shooting for a takedown this time around? Because the first time he didn't do that that much, did he? We shot for the single leg. He died. Did he get it? He, he got a couple single legs. And, and, and here's the thing, you know, he did a great job of inciting a brawl, right? He, Stipe did? Stipe would put hands at Francis, make Francis believe that we're about to throw. And we, shoot. And then shoot underneath. He did a great job. He did a great job getting attached, you know, and then Francis didn't understand the pit stops and kind of where to go from there. Um, and then that's been the nice thing of the maturation of Francis over the last couple of years has been, he's, he's really fell in love with the wrestling side of things, Really, you know, and I think that's important. That's I think huge. not only is it important to, uh, understand the defensive side of wrestling, but I also think it's important to have, to be able to be, to threaten with your wrestling game as well. You know, if you, can you imagine Francis taking somebody down? And what he looks like on top of somebody, it's pretty fucking scary. And you, do you think that's a possibility at some point? I mean, we're going to wait and yeah. see. We're going to have to wait and see. So I have to ask you, when you see France, especially when you've trained trained with him, in terms of his striking, do you are you going into this fight? Well, I know all fighters uh, like to set up their shots. Do you focus a lot on, is Francis just solely a power puncher or are you also developing his technical skills as well? Well, you, you have to be able to rely on technique and speed in a five-round fight. Right. If you rely on power, that energy system is going to zap you right away and you're going to be dog tired coming into two, three, four. Right. And that's when you kind of you end up being just just a sitting duck. Mm -hmm. So um, being able just to rely on a jab. Right. If I can just rely on my jab, if I had to think about breaking your right hand. All right. You broke your right hand. Is the fight over? No, you have another fucking handy. Kamar Usman last night or on Saturday. Right. So you have to be able to um, implore all your weapons. Right, you have to be able to understand the situation, under, have a fight IQ. But at the end of the day, power shots for him, I think we should take some 
power off and not try to hit so hard. Oh, really? to save base. cardio, to save cardio? cardio, but not falling over on your strikes. Keep your base. It doesn't take much when it comes to four ounce gloves for Francis Ngannou to knock out anybody on the planet, right? He just has to touch you. So just find him, find him, touch him. And maybe it takes two, right? Maybe it takes three, right? It's going to, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So at the end of the day, be patient, take your time. You will find him. He gets hit. He gets hit a lot. He gets hit a lot, but you don't have to overrush anything either, right? So if you're in there fucking wild and throwing, and he's probably going to change levels and get pretty deep on double or get on the leg, right? And we're going to have to wrestle. And, and those things are all fine. That's what I, you need to prepare yeah. for. But I think for Francis, staying calm, finding your rhythm, touching, finding your space, throw when you need to, and you're going to find this guy's chin. How does how does Francis feel about the fight, if I may ask? Um I think he's super I, confident. Well, I think everybody's confident. Yeah, I think you I have think, to be. I think Stipe is confident. I think you have to be at this. Stipe, at this, did you hear what he said? Point. No, I don't. He came on the media and he was just like, uh, "I think this dude's one of the craziest fighters I've ever seen in my life," or some Francis, and he was just like, "But he has to fight me now." So yeah, and and deservingly so. I think it's. I think if I'm Stipe in his camp, I'd be pissed off that I'm an underdog. Why is he an underdog? I mean, this is the most dangerous heavyweight I've ever fighter I've ever seen in the UFC, arguably. Right. So I mean, here's a guy who who has, has won the title, has defended the belt, who's already beaten Francis, is coming in this fight as an underdog. He's got a chip on his shoulder, and deservingly so. Comes from a great camp. No, you're right. He just beat DC twice. Right. So, you know, it's it's one of those situations where, you know, I, I don't think he gets enough respect. I can agree right? with that. You know, he doesn't get enough respect. So, um, you know, no one's taking this man lightly at all. And nor is Francis. He's already been in the cage with him, and he got an ass whooping for five rounds. Does does he does he remember that, or does he like is that invigorate him now? Well, I I think you, I think you understand more. You understand what you're dealing with more. You understand what we call it, like leaving crumbs behind. What crumbs did you leave behind in your in your last uh, training camp with him? Right? Did you training camp? Him? Yeah, when you when you trained your last training camp fight camp for Stipe, what didn't you do right? What we call those crumbs, regret, oh, okay. right? What, what, what did you not run? Did you not wrestle? Did you not do this? What could you have done better? And a lot of times in life, you don't get a redo. So now you, with the information that you had from the last time, when you step in there this time, you better fucking check all those boxes and make sure that you, you picked up all those crumbs you left behind. And, um, in this fight, I, I noticed about, about from the first fight, I just thought Francis's progression overall um, his confidence, everything helped. But this last year, I actually saw on social media that he was—he was just mad that he was—they weren't giving him fights. Right. As a coach, um, I think that if you number one, if you get the shot, that's problems. If you get the belt, that problem's solved. Right. But how do you feel about that? Because we were just talking off camera. Like Francis Ngannou is one of the most special fighters. I'm sure. Like it's hard to find training partners. It's hard. Right. How do you maximize the effect effectiveness of his training camp? You, you, so as as a coach, um, they're gonna feed off of your energy. Right. If I'm if I'm pissed off, if I'm mad, if I'm like, we're not getting the respect we deserve and blah, 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 that's going to carry over to him. Right. It's not my job. My job is to make sure that he's in shape. He's ready to go. His his game plan is well put together, that all those little things. But that I'm up and I'm, I'm fucking I'm on point with everything else. Right. We can't control that. I can't control Stipe. When he's fighting, his injuries, none of that shit. All I can control is what's in front of me. So with him, I just tell him that. Like even during COVID, we didn't have a choice with COVID. We can't fight. 
But what we can do is get our ass in the fucking training room and, and get better, right? Those are the things that we're able to control. Here's the things we can't worry about the things, focus on the things that we can control. So, you know, I think it sucks that he, it's taken this long for him to get the title fight out of our hands, but use this time wisely in getting better because once we do have that fight, right, we better make sure that all those fucking ducks in a row because we had plenty of time to do it. And um, we talked about this as well. This heavyweight division now is probably the second or most interesting division in the sport with John moving up. It's mm. you got three power hitters, Stipe, Francis, and John. I mean, yeah. fighters in there. Um, this year, I, we were talking off camera, and I know you're not looking past Stipe. I'm not asking you to. This year could be a very big year for you and your camp. What do you think about when you look at the entire heavyweight division? Do you feel you feel how you have the best fighter in that division right now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I want to I, hear I that. Like, I feel like we have the the best athlete. You know, I think that he was just a puppy. You know, just trying to fucking figure things out. When he out. first fought Stipe? Yeah. Yeah. I feel. I mean, you know, look at what he did to everybody, and he was the scariest man on the planet. And they now, didn't even put up a fight. You know, he lost two in a row, and then he comes back and wins four in a row. He's only spent two minutes and ten seconds, I think, in the cage for four fights. And that second fight, honestly, was was an after effect from the first fight. I don't think he's losing anywhere to that to Derek Lewis again. Yeah, you know, a lot of that stuff that he talks about was just where his headspace was, and you know, things of that sort. You know, and all credit to Derek, he won the fight, and it is what it is. Great heavyweight, I great think. heavyweight. You know, so. Um, but with that, with that being said, you know, this he's he's been on a tear. Um, his skill set and all around MMA knowledge is getting better and better. And I think that's what's important, you know, is is understanding where you need to get better at and applying that as you get going. I wanted to ask you um, as well, if you don't mind me, uh, I want to talk about a, a fighter you actually mentioned. I was looking into him today, Dan Ige. He's in the lightweight division. Um, featherweight. Featherweight. He's not lightweight? No, he's featherweight. Oh, oh, Edson Barboza is 145? Moved down. Okay. Do you think that, let's go featherweight, that featherweight division has uh, Max, Volk, a lot of superstars. Mm. I also was, was saying, I think Dan Ige is one of the most improved fighters in the UFC. Like, this dude against Barboza, that fight was incredible. Yeah. How do you see him compete? Do you think he's going to get that title shot in the uh, next coming years too? Well, I hope so. And we have a lot to prove. You know, we have to navigate through some things, right? Like, the last fight, I thought he... I thought he fought great against Calvin Cater. I do too. That's I, a tough fight. It man. was a tough fight, and I thought I thought there was a lot of there were some things fight IQ wise. Um, I feel like cost us early, meaning, you know, round one was ours all the way through, and then he made one little bit of a mistake. Aesthetically looked bad, so I felt like the the Judges. scores swung that round over to Cater. So if, if we do a couple things right in round one, we have round one in the bag. We win round two on all three judges' scorecards, right? So there's two rounds in. Then with those adjustments being made, I think round three was actually close, and one judge gave Dan round three, one, you know, two other judges. So there's a couple things there in round three, again, fight IQ-wise, that could have ultimately swung that round. So we were right there. Um, the, that's, that was his first five-round fight. He lasted, um, and I think Calvin ended up kind of putting it on and going on like the four and five and did a great job there. So the experience and cage time alone was invaluable and in knowing where we were at and how to kind of dig deep. And I think that experience is only going to help him. Um, now we need to go out and go get another win. We were supposed to fight Ryan Hall, March 13th. He pulled out. Um, we're looking for a replacement. He's got a baby on the way. Dan, Dan does. Dan has a baby on the way in April, so we're trying to hopefully get him a fight before the baby, the baby? comes. That's that's the idea. He wants to keep the date. 
Um, so, uh, unfortunately, does that mess with the training schedule? Like, aren't you already like focused for a training camp? We're, we're, we're just going to keep training, you know, that's so, how you guys just yeah, every day. We can, we, we focus, I call it the 80, 20, 80% of our focus stays on our game plan, 20% on what they might do to us. So, um, the 80, 20 is kind of important. You don't want to go the other way around and you end up kind of, cause then they have rents or you have, they have rent space in your head type shit. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. You, you almost psychologically put yourselves in bad or the positions that they might already be doing. Cause you as the coach, what about you? Me as the coach, I, I just, I focus 80, 20 on, on what we're going to do. And the 20 is the, the taking their weaknesses and stuff like that. Uh, what, you know, obviously for Ryan Hall, it's going to be the Imanari game, the leg lock game, the kicks, the karate stance, all that stuff. You know, so we try to pick a day where we will drill and go over a lot of that stuff. But for the rest of the week, I mean, it's fucking Danny Ige time. We're going to punch a hole through dudes' heads. Do you, when you, like, train, you train all day. Just out of curiosity, do you go home and watch, like, do you, is fighting just your entire life, like, yeah. at all times? Like, do you watch tape when you're I home? watch all, all, all day, all night. I watch you just tape. watch tape? Yeah, I have a big screen in the office and... You, you just know, kick it, kick back. I, yeah, when I get time in between, like you know, I'm still running the gym. Um, Ryan's running the gym more than I am now, but I still have a lot of responsibilities at the gym. Because you you're in this camp with Francis. Well, no, Ryan is now the owner. Oh, okay. So Randy signed the gym over to Ryan. Ryan now owns the gym. Uh, I'm still the gym manager, but really Ryan's doing a lot of the a lot of the day to days. Um, so well, my day my day consists of you know kind of my morning sessions, office work, and then pro practice, and then the night sessions. So I'm there pretty much all day, but any any time that I'm doing office work, there's a fight on. I turn it on, and either I'm kind of uh, taking notes or I'm eyeballing it or listening or doing something. And you so could watch can watch any fighter anytime. You know, I, I usually, you know, and I get calls all the time. You know, like Ryder, for example, sends me over all of his sparring rounds, right? So you might it might just be sparring rounds. It might be, um, you know. Uh, breaking down film on a, on a future opponent. Hey, we might get this guy. Oh, I'll take a look at him, you know, or a friend might call, Hey coach, I might fight this guy. What do you think? Pop on the tape, see what I think, you know? So, um, and that's good, man. Cause it just keeps you sharp. You know what I mean? It's just breaking down film. Yeah. I saw Luke Thomas actually called you like one of the best head coaches in the world. I was like <laughs> eye opening for me. Um, I was going to ask you if you don't mind, I wanted to talk about the whole landscape of the UFC. I, I want to tackle three fights, three divisions uh, before I let you go. And I want to start off with welterweight because it just happened. Um, first, I'm going to ask you what you th what you thought about that Burns-Usman fight. So I didn't get to watch it. Oh, um, really? Yeah, we had just left. Maki had to go okay. to the hospital. Oh, yeah, yeah, fight, yeah, yeah. You know, so... Um, Crazy. You know, yeah, but because of COVID, his brother was allowed to go. We, were, we as coaches couldn't go. They're just like, hey, only one's going. The rest of you guys can fucking wait. Um, he didn't, he didn't need to go to the hospital. It was just kind of a precautionary thing. He wasn't like, you know, knocked out or anything like that. But, uh, so by the time we got back to the hotel room, uh, the fight was already over. Uh, so I got to watch a little bit of, of Usman Burns. I got to watch kind of the finishes and stuff. Um, I wasn't surprised of the outcome. I thought in my head when I did my analysis for ESPN, I, I thought Usman would win, but I thought it'd be by decision. Um, but again, I think to me, when I broke that fight down, I, I, saw, I, I yeah. thought the, the wild card in that was uh, Trevor, was Trevor Whitman. I just thought um, footwork, angles, um, precise striking, all those things I think were going to reign supreme over power punching and a guy trying to move a brawler. A brawler. He uh, did hit, but Gilbert did connect with Usman for the I first heard, time. I heard he was wobbled and rocked in the first round and, and had to come back from a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of um, resiliency there, you know, how to show some resiliency towards that. After his adversity. last two fights, 
I was I don't know and this I'm a GSP is my favorite fighter ever but I'm being straightforward because I've been seeing a lot of arguments I don't know how anybody beats Usman like Colby had him he couldn't do it he had him on the ropes and I, I think Colby's the second best welterweight on the planet with Usman in, right. my, in my opinion Burns rocked him doesn't work what do you do does anybody beat this man well again it's Styles always going to make the matchups right and and we as uh you know was it quarterback couch quarterbacks right you know we're just trying to you know who can who's this who's the best blah blah blah, blah. couch quarterbacks right <laughs> to to me to me it's it's um there's there's an x factor to Usman a lot of people don't understand it's his willingness of of to compete his desire to be a perfectionist you know he was just in the gym with us just now we just got done with practice Usman's there watching today yeah what the fuck? so I mean he doesn't have to be in our gym right but this man breathes eats sleeps MMA and comes to practice to watch he's gonna surpass hard. GSP well I like to see it I think he's a great dude I think GSP is a great guy he is but um you know I'm all about right now same in the in, in the moment we can argue that to a blue in the face and you're never going to know unless they fight. So for me, it's like, Hey, it's, it's just, it's just opinions at that mm -hmm. point. At that point. You know? I, I agree with that. It, that's, that is, I just, I like feeding into those. I'm a casual, I'm not yeah. a casual, but I'm not like you, you know, I was going to ask you. So now this upcoming fight, this is the next Israel Adesanya is fighting. I think this is the fight I'm most excited for. Yeah. Uh, first Jan. Mm -hmm. And I think Jan is a stud, man. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that fight? And what do you think of Izzy? Again, I, I, well, I think Izzy's incredible. Um, obviously had a, had a corner against him with Brad Tavares, seeing him firsthand and seeing what he's capable of. Oh yeah. Um, how he's, how he's transitioned over to MMA has been absolutely spot on and flawless. Wow. You had to prepare for Izzy. We had to prepare for Izzy. Um, you know, and there's things that I saw in his game that I thought we were, we'd be, try to exploit. Um, and, and he always kind of had an answer to that. So he did a, he did a phenomenal job, man. Uh, and I think he's only gotten better. The confidence along with it has gotten better. So, um, you know, for me, I look at that fight and it's hard, man, because I think Jan is just that brute power punching, move you forward, not afraid to get in the pocket and bang. Whereas, you know, I look at Izzy as a sniper, man. Like the guy can be gone. He'll hit you one or two times. He's out. He'll make you think that you have forward pressure movement. He hits you off on an angle, sets up same side head kicks very well, gets you in walking into things. So I think that kind of bull in the matador is what is what this fight's going to look like. You know, he's going to hit him one or two times. And ditch. Ditch, ditch. hard exit. We call it trace steps. So he'll hit, a, he'll hit trace steps. And what those trace steps do is allow you to trap guys, get them chasing you rather than cutting you off. So you want to try to get guys to, to – to feel like they're cutting you off, but they're actually chasing you and you have angles for your crosses either side, left hand or right hand, you know? My thing is, that's what I'm, one thing I noticed about uh, in that Paulo Costa fight is this, he couldn't hit him. He couldn't, and, and Izzy, just like you said, he would hit him and then trace step. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, you trace him. Yeah, trace, trace out, yeah, yeah. Trace steps. So I was gonna say, um, and I actually wanna really quickly, what do you think in this upcoming Jan fight, do you think that number one, do you think Jan hits him? Paulo couldn't end too. If this is my question for Israel Adesanya is, can he take a hit from these power punchers? Well, it's a good question. I mean, you know, we've seen what Jan has done to these guys. Yeah, he's he slept dudes. Dominic Reyes. I didn't think he was going to be Dominic Reyes. He slept him, slept him, slept Luke Rockholt the way he did. You know, he oh, got yeah. a hold of uh, Corey Anderson. You know, and the power's there. So here's the thing that I think you're going to find out pretty quickly: Does Jan respect Israel's power right away? 
once he feels Israel's power, if he gets touched a couple times, is he just going to say, bro, I'll eat one or two of these and to, come to come to get inside, right? So I think it's going to be important for Jan to make sure that he cuts this cage off and makes it as small as possible and fight at this as much as he can in a phone booth. And now, what does Izzy do to counteract that? Um, footwork, angles. Uh, really, I mean, it's going to be that bull in the Stay matador. moving. Stay moving. So um, in particular, Izzy's really at best in, in space, right? He does a great job of making you feel like he can get you, like backing you up. He let Costa kind of back him up. Right? That's what I noticed, yeah. He let him kind of back him up to the red zone. He walked into strikes. Right, but he walked into strikes, and then all of a sudden he had his escape route set, got you to chase one way or another, would plant and fire something on the chase. Jan really is going to have to use level changes and feints to try to dictate some sort of wrestling game or at least make Israel feel like that's a threat, right? Level changes are going to have validity when you start throwing a little bit of overhand, head feints, things of that sort, but you have to be able to wrestle behind it. You have to make him feel like, oh, this guy can, guy can put me on on his on my back, right? So, um, yeah, I think both guys. I would imagine Jan is going to try to feel what this power feels like. If he doesn't respect it, he's going to just keep trying to move forward, eating punches to try to hit him with a home run. Uh, I think Israel is going to stay on his bike, stay long, pick this guy apart. Uh, I definitely think the leg kicks are going to be coming into play for Izzy. Yeah, I think you should try to chop this guy down. Jan, try and chop Jan down. Yeah, yeah, try to chop Jan down. You know. Inside, outside, how do you jam right hands, left head kicks? Do you think he can stay at light heavyweight? Like, is that a I think he can do really anything he wants, to be honest with you. I think, obviously, if he goes, if he's got a title shot right away versus Jan and wins this belt, he's, he can reign supreme up there for a little while. You know, I is think, he? Do you think they're gonna fight him and John at some point? I don't think they will. Well, if John's going to put all this weight on, that's what I'm saying, at heavyweight. I don't see him dropping down. And it's a slow process. He's doing it like the right way. So, I mean, if he's trying to bulk up or do whatever the hell he's doing to stay up at heavyweight. um, And I think that's going to depend on what happens to John, which on a heavyweight. I was going to ask you about that. What do you think about him? Not, not including Francis. Just what do you think about him and heavyweight? I I think it's an interesting move. In my opinion, if you're asking who the greatest of all time is, I think it's Sean Jones. I agree. I I don't, I don't think that there's really, really much of an argument. Right. But again, we talk X's and O's and we can do this till we're blue in the face. Your opinion, my opinion, this, this, and that. And if you if you were to ask me my opinion, I feel like John Jones is the greatest to ever do it. So why not go up there and have some new challenges? This is what makes this sport great is these guys are the ultimate competitors. They want to find out who's the best to ever do it. Is it a mistake? We'll see, right? We'll see. We'll see what happens with the winner out of Stipe and Francis. Those I think he beats Stipe soundly, but I don't think he beat. I don't know. I, I just don't. I can't pick anybody against Francis. I've never. It's going to be tough. You know, it's going to be tough. And I, and I think again, like you go and look at look at his camp. You look at look at Brandon Gibson and the guys he has behind him. They're going to cook up something good, man. Guaranteed. Like these guys know what they're doing. There's a reason Brandon why. Gibson's his wrestling coach, right? Brandon is his. To me, Brandon's his head coach. Okay. When I look at this, when I look at Brandon and what Brandon does for John, in my mind, Brandon is the head coach. Not Greg John Jackson John. and. Them, Mike Winklejohn, they're like they're like overseers. He's like yeah. on on. When, John when I look at when I look at X's and O's striking, it's fucking Brandon Gibson. And I was going to ask you. Speaking of, and I, before I let you, I really do want to touch on that Maki Julian Marquez fight because I interviewed Julian Marquez. I don't know if you knew this a while ago, and I like the guy, cool guy, great guy. I thought he was getting his ass whooped. Yeah, 
And yeah. I was so shocked in that fight. Like I was, my mind was blown. I was happy for the guy, but mm -hmm. I knew you were interview uh, coaching Maki. Yeah. How did you think about that fight? You know, it's it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one to get over. But um, it is, yeah. You know, to 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 touch on that part, I I have a duty to the rest of the team and the rest of the guys to turn the page and be ready on a Monday. So I always tell myself I get two days. I get the day of the fight, right? The night of Sunday. to celebrate or party or cry or yell <laughs> yeah. and then Sunday, right? And best believe I've been pretty pissed off the last day and a half, you know? Um, but come Monday, I got to gear back up. I got Joe, I got Aljamain, I got all these other guys getting ready for fights. So um, for me, I, I obviously take immense pride in fight IQ and situationals, right? Um, I knew going into round three that Julian's best shot at winning that fight was to hit him with the right overhand or to choke him. You know, and I said to him in the corner, going into three, you got to watch your neck. Anywhere you go, just don't leave your neck hanging because he's going to try to jump on the neck. That's his only, really only way to get a finish here. So, you know, 40 seconds, minute left, um, a nice little scramble ensues. Maki ends up taking his back or mounts him and then mounts him first and Julian kind of gives his back up and Maki goes for that choke. Looking back at it, I wish I would have been more adamant about him bailing on the short choke. We didn't need the choke. The fight was already won. We just needed to stay in that position and cook the rest of the clock. But when you're in there, when you you're go in for there, the finish, right? when you're in there, um, you as the fighter knows better than me, right? In the fact of, oh, this is deep. He's or, feeling the guy, yeah. You feel the choke and you're like, oh, I got this. It's hard for me as a coach to say bail on a finish when you can finish a guy. Technique-wise, when I look back at it, he only had one hook in and he didn't have the top side hook. That could be a problem, right? But I said that to him. I said, hey, I want you to stay on top, but if you got this choke, you're going to have to go with the short choke, which is palm to palm, short choke, which he did. He went to the short choke, um, and then Julian was able to kind of move his way out. Okay, of that choke. I thought that his career, though, like Julian's career was on. He hadn't fought in 30 months prior to that. So I thought, like, this was literally, like, his back was against the wall. Mm. Do you see uh, Maki, number one, coming back? I thought like, he looked, for the first two rounds, even the third round, I thought, like, he yeah. looked like a dope fighter. You know, it was a war. Um, you never know what the UFC is going to do. I think this is his third loss in a row. Uh, Maki, oh, wow. I believe. I'm not sure. I'll have to look. But, you know, Maki changed camps he moved out to vegas for this specific Six camp five. uh we had um we had a matchup with jordan williams first they switched matchups they gave us julian i'm personally good friends with julian and i'm personally good friends with james kraus i've known those guys for a long long time oh, james kraus was the one that helped julian he's using that told him to go for the choke and well probably yeah, yeah. i mean he had probably told him to go for whatever he could right um but i know those guys very very well i've actually helped julian i've held pads for julian I consider him a friend. I talk to him regularly. Funny guy, really funny great, guy. great guy, funny guy. Um, you know, it still hurts. It burns because of a loss. But I think at the end of the day, I have a little bit of validation knowing that, like, it, at least the win went to a good guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he's been gone for so long, and all those things happen. Um, so it is, man. It's a tough pill to swallow anytime you lose. But I think you know, for me, I think what I was most disappointed about was they did the promotion not giving Maki a fight of the night bonus. I thought that was a war. I thought it deserved it. I thought it was five of the night. I thought both guys put on a show. Um, but instead, they gave away four performance bonuses 
Do they do that usually, or they they do they do whatever they want? They do whatever they want. They can give away two fighter of the night bonuses. So at the end of the day, four fighters are going to get bonuses. That's it. That's it. Four uh, fighters. So you mentioned I I wanted to touch on this real quick too. One of my favorite fighters is fighting. I completely forgot you are training him, Aljo. Mm. I actually comment on his podcast. He has this podcast, the Weekly Scraps. I comment yeah. all the time. Well, this this my opinion is our could be fight of the year. I thought the way he handled Corey Sanhagen was crazy. I had Corey in that fight, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sorry I did. I thought Corey looked like a killer, and then you For just sure. saw, you saw what he did to Frankie Edgar. Right. Um, so I think that kid's a killer. Mm. Uh, so when I saw Aljo technically dominate him, mm-hmm. I didn't see like the Jan has cardio and power. He just keeps on coming. Like mm-hmm. his fight against Aldo, I thought him and Aldo were pretty even until mm-hmm. the third round. Aldo couldn't keep up, and mm-hmm. it was over. But I thought Aldo was even with him until then. And then now, uh, Jan versus Aljo, I'm very interested in this because my friend, Jan's like, everybody's labeling to be the next big 135 star. Mm-hmm. The way Aljo's looked, though, I feel like he could be his kryptonite. What do you think about this fight? I, I, I mean, I, so I've worked with Jan in the past. How have you? Yeah, I've, oh, held, wow. I've, held, I've held pads for him. I've worked with him um, in the past. Immediately when I held pads for this kid, I knew right away this kid was going to be a star, a, 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 a challenge, challenger right away, a contender right away, um, possibly carry the belt. I've been nothing but impressed with this guy. May I ask why? Just out of curiosity. Um, I think just uh, fight IQ, some of the things he was doing with his boxing. He doesn't understand a lick of English. Oh, really? And him and I, or I don't understand any Russian, but we understand MMA. That's, a, that's a universal language. Right? If you watched our very first sessions of me holding pads for for uh, Peter Yan, it looked like we've been training together for five years. It was amazing. So I was blown away by what he can do, what he was capable of. Um, so by no surprise is he the, the bantamweight champ. Now, Aljo, on the other hand, he's a guy I've known for a long, long time. Phenomenal. Uh, I've had a corner against Aljo. So, uh, I've got a break. You cornered against him? Yeah. I cornered against Aljo, um, five, four or five years ago. I think it was Brian Caraway fought him. Oh, okay. Caraway ended up getting the win. Aljo ran through him the first round. Um, and then, uh, Caraway found a way to win rounds two and three. Caraway was good back then. Yeah. Caraway was very good. Very, very scrappy. But since then, I've always been a very big fan of Aljamain. Um, so I followed his career pretty in depth. And then, uh, we, you know, he reached out to me a couple months ago and longer than that now, but it's been a while, probably early summer and was like, Hey, I think about moving out to Vegas. I have a home. Let's sit down and chat. We did. Um, it was kind of like a recruiting trip, if you will. You know, he's like, I'm keeping Sarah Longo. I have a home here, but I want somebody to bridge the gap between home and Long Island. He goes, I want you to be the guy. So, uh, you know, get on the phone with Ray, kind of figure out how to make Ray this Longo. Work. Yeah, with Ray Longo, you know. Um, so that's kind of my my role for him is that little bit of that gap between. How do you compromise with the other head coach? Is there like sometimes an ego battle or not? No. Not not with me. Not yet. Not with me. Um, you know that that's really up to the fighter. So. The, if what the fighter wants is what I'm going to give them. If the fighter says, Hey, Eric, Ray is my head coach. He's going to be the one speaking in the corner. He's going to be the one wearing the mic that I'm going to do what the fighter wants. That's what, that's the way he wants it done. And that's where we're going to do it. Uh, the last thing in the world is I like is a, is a discombobulated corner and a bunch of people yelling and screaming shit. Well, one's yelling, takedown, one's yelling head kick, right? I don't work with Ray Longo enough to know. So I'm going to speak to Ray in the corner and let Ray filter everything that I say. And if it's pertinent information, he can pass it on to Aljo. Other than that, my job is going to be basically cornering Aljo like I would, um, you know, kind of politicking to the judges and tell him it looks pretty. 
I know the game plan. I know what we're going to do. I know how he's going to do it. I know I, I th- I'm very confident in what he's capable of. Aljo? Uh, yeah. 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 I don't want you to answer these because I know it would be giving away stuff. I'm just going to go ahead and say my prediction. Um, do you think he, Jan is oh, overall, like you said, just hitting pad, but he's, mm-hmm. I've, every time I watch him fight, it seems like he has no holes. Right. I'm assuming my person, Aljo's probably going to try and grapple or submit him. Do you think that Jan, if that were to happen, because, do you think Jan could stand with Aljo in that field? I, I think I think Jan is great everywhere. You know, I think Jan's great from the feet to the floor. But where where I think Aljamain separates himself from a lot of these guys is the transitions. I'm yeah. So you know, you you go from one transition to the next. You leave your neck out there a little too long. He's there. You leave uh you know you leave the space for a hook. You leave a, a spot for him to jump on your back, right? an arm bar, a choke, this, that. The transitions, I think, is where you you have a hard time preparing for. And our job is to make sure that we keep transitions flowing and growing unless we're topside. When we're topside, we, we run our boots in, we stay heavy, and we try our, to employ the ground and pound. If if it's on your back or off the cage or there's, a, there's scrambles that, we, that can happen, I think Aljamain is one of the best that I've seen in those areas in the transitions. So, and I'm I'm going to end this right now. Um you you have Aljamain coming mm-hmm. up. You have well, you have Aljamain coming up real soon though, don't you? Yeah, or, 2 weeks. And then you have Francis at 4 weeks. I have I have Joe Benavides and Aljamain on the same card. Oh uh, fuck. March 6th. Uh Danny Ige March 13th, no opponent named yet. Um Francis March 27th. I'm just going to, how do you like, I feel like you deal with hella stress a lot. How do you like, how do you manage this? Like all at know. once? I couldn't tell you. You just, you just go, you just put one foot from the other. Put my fucking chin down and go. And go. But it's, yeah. it's fun for you, right? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing, to be honest with you. You know, I, I look around at people, uh, especially during this pandemic, you know, without jobs, without, you know, their, their normal lives. Uh, I feel blessed every day. Cause you, you get know, to train it. I get to train. I get to be around my family and friends and, um, you know, we get to go do fun shit on TV. Right. Yeah, you, you know, do. I get to do fun shit. You honestly live the dream life. Yeah. So, <laughs> and they pay me to do it. Yeah. You know? So, um, it, it is pretty cool, but I, I'm definitely stay grounded because of it. Um, what do you mean stay ground? Like it's just because like, you know, you, you start getting some accolades, you start getting a little shine here and there. But at the end of the day, I understand my roots. I understand where I come from. I understand that, you know, this all comes and goes pretty damn quick in this sport. You know, you, you get the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in MMA. So I think the, the key is, is, is try to stay on that middle ground. Right. And you've experienced both. Oh, the, big time. The big highs time. and highs and the, yeah. the lows. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the Maki loss was a was you know just because it was right there, you know what I mean that was a oh man you know Joe losing to Figueredo that one was and, that you know. I thought that was I thought Figueredo was a monster man I yeah. thought Joe I'll go into the first fight I'm I'm gonna be real I saw Figueredo lost to a Sunsau I think a while ago he lost to uh uh Fimorga Fimorga yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so I Fimorga. going to I was just like Formiga yeah mm-hmm. I was just like. I got Joe in the first fight. When I actually first time I saw Figgy fight, I was like, "This dude's different. Mm-hmm. This dude's a little bit different." Um, I thought Joe was still one of the best ever at that division. I think this dude. I was gonna ask you, what do you think of? Do you think he beats? Do you think he's the best flyweight in the world right now? Figueredo. Yeah, over Cejudo. Over. Um, I'm. I, I think it's tough. I think it's tough to make those comparisons. To be honest with you, I think he figured out in the cage the best. Um, you know, Joe beat Cejudo. He right? did beat Cejudo. 
So, you know, I think I think longevity wise, although Joe's never carried a belt, I see Joe daily. I see Joe what Joe's capable of. I think Joe's one of the best to ever do it. I think know? I agree. I would say he's top three all time. You know, it's hard to argue. Uh, it's hard to argue though. I think Mighty Mouse just because of the longevity and how long he's held, held that flyweight belt and what he's been able to do with it. I, I think Mighty Mouse is the obvious answer. Yeah, I agree. Know? But I, besides those three, Joe's right there. Oh, like, I think yeah. I think I think you can interchange any of those guys when you talk about career longevity. You know, um, I think the knock on Joe is always going to be the title, right? Not having the title, but when you look at that, I think it's 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 one A, one B, one C. You know, I agree. And you said you there. said this time comes and goes in MMA, and he's been there since the WCEC oh, days, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah, he's been around a minute, man, and. You know, you want to talk about a guy with veteran fight IQ, understanding situations. Uh, that's Joe Benavidez, man. He's one of the best to do it. He's a great guy to have in the room, even if he's just in training camp or he's in camp. Like, he's always helping out. He's always a, a good veteran voice. You know, he gets the job done. And fuck, man, I just love having the dude. I think, you know, you've, from the first time, our first interview, was it 2019? I think it was, yeah, two, a year and a half ago. I think you've come a long way, man. Like, your career's out through the roof now. Uh, to end the show, what's your big prediction for Extreme Couture in a year, two years, or five years? You know, I, I want to get um, – I mean, my goals ultimately are get get belts. You know what I mean? I want to get belts in that gym. Is that your uh, personal career goal? Um, yeah, I think I think it is. Uh, Team-wise, you know, we won gym of the year by the Schmo. The Schmo oh, yeah. gave us gym of the year. You guys did? That's yeah, dope. <laughs> yeah, but, you know – uh, not knocking Schmo, that was a great, that was a great fucking award to get by any means. But uh, I feel like we're starting to put our our gym back on the map. People are starting to take recognition of what we're doing out there. So the team aspect is very important to me. The individual accolades, I think, go hand in hand. Like I win Coach of the Year by two publications. That means we won Gym of the Year, in my opinion. I don't win that award without what we're doing in the cage. Facts, yeah. You know, so guys, guys are winning. That's fights. crazy, coach. Guys are winning fights. You know, so. Guys win fights, good things happen, everybody gets awards, everybody's happy, right? Um, but to me, titles, uh, title defenses, all those things are very important. You know, I have the opportunity for two. You know, I had a good moment with uh, Coach Giff, Jimmy Gifford. He's a, he's a phenomenal friend of mine, great guy. He's just a legend when it comes to, to the sport to me, like just a good, good all-around dude. And uh, he was in the corner with me for Maki. So uh, the day of the fight, you know, Giff and I shared a room and, you know, Giff actually got emotional. He had these tears in his eyes and he's like, dude, you know, you have the shot at winning two titles in just the month of March. I know. He's like, you got the shot to do it, kid. And he's got tears in his eyes and he's like, man, and he goes, there's, there's not a lot of coaches that even get one shot at a title in the UFC. Not fucking one. He goes, you have the opportunity to get two belts in the month of March. And he goes, man, I'm fucking pulling for it. And he had tears running down his face. And How did you feel when you heard that? Um, I, I, kind of a mixed emotion, to be honest with you, because I, 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 I try not to make it too big. I just kind of just like, hey, it is what it is. It's another fucking fight. You know, and, and, and my, my, my focus is kind of tunnel vision, I guess you can say. So um, I try not to make it too big or I get any nerves or anything like that. So do you get nerves? You don't, do you? Not really, Yeah, man. I feel like you never get nervous. Not really. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I have this weird like serial killer kind of – and that's why I tell my fighters like I want you guys to feel like you're this serial killer, like you're a Dexter. You know, at the end of the day, <laughs> I want a fucking clean kill. I don't want to leave fingerprints or a mess. I want this shit to look clean and precise and get out of there. But all the while, the common denominator is still murder. 
you know, so let's go do it, do it the way we do it. Um, but I also <laughs> like, hard. I also love fucking beating the shit out of somebody for 14 minutes and 59 seconds and then finishing the guy. last second. Yeah. You know what I mean? Putting a motherfucker away. I think there's something <laughs> to say about, um, demoralizing people, right. In the sport, you're always going to hear the guy say, Oh, I got caught. Right. Oh, I got caught. And that happens, man. You get caught four ounce gloves. People get caught. You get knocked out. You can't say you got caught when a dude fucking beats the fuck out of you for 14 minutes and 59 seconds. There's something about that, right? That's something there's says something about you when you're like, I didn't just get beat. I got the living shit kicked out of me and I got demoralized and I never want to fight a guy from a shrink tour again. That's the mentality that I try to set. That's the practice that we run today. Guys hate Monday practice, but I like to hit Mondays in the mouth. I don't want people to feel like we're fucking lackadaisical. We're coming in oh, off the weekend and this, this, and that. I think if you hit Monday in the mouth hard, you set a precedence for the rest of the week. And that's the way I like to see my guys fight. I like to come out and hit motherfuckers in the mouth and set a precedence. I saw your practice. You don't fuck around whatsoever. Wow, that's play. like 300%. Like I don't play in. because you know what? They're not going to play. That's your job. Yeah. That's our job. Right. And I tell guys, if your partner is trying to take it easy, you're doing him no favors by going easy on him. You're doing so your partner, no do your partners always go like? Do training partners go 100 when they spar? No, but like, not when they spar. Like sparring is one thing. Like I don't, I don't, I don't need guys to try to knocking each other's heads off. Um, but in the grappling, wrestling days, oh yeah. Um, even when it comes to some of the ground and pound stuff, like you're not doing the guy a favor if you're going easy on him on the ground. You're just not, right? Like both of you are doing each other a favor. It's not a realistic pace for you up top. And if you're on the bottom and you're just getting away with getting little rabbit fists, you know, touched and guys are just going to be like, oh, this doesn't hurt too bad. But if I start shelling your ass as hard as I can, guys are going to fucking either get up or get out, you know? So I run a pretty hard paced practice and I want guys to feel like that they're getting the most out of those practices. You know, we have a saying that, you know, when we drag guys into deep waters, you don't have the luxury of just holding their head underwater. You got to get in the fucking water and be willing to drown yourself. You got to get those guys in the water with you and go down deep. Can I ask you a question? Yep. I, I'm struggling. I'm kind of in the same position, obviously not like you, but I have a team. I have people like I work with. How do you deal with when a fighter is not accountable? Like we were talking about a specific fighter off camera. How do you as a coach try and get it out of them do you just let it go like how do you deal with that because i get very aggressive with people when they don't give me their all and that's yeah. something i need to i need to fix but i don't know how to balance it because like i don't fuck with no half-ass shit well i think there's there's approaches to that and and having that energy is just fine but some people you have to grab by the face mask some people you have to coddle you know some people you have to address it differently so if you think of yourself as a quarterback you know you have 10 other people that rely on you um, one person might react differently to the way you talk to them. So you kind of have to understand who and what they are. Now, at the end of the day, if you set a standard, right? And your standard is X, Y, and Z. This is the standard for my work, for my gym, for my whatever. And if people don't fall in line with that standard, then they got to go. That's, that's simple. It's that, that's that. The beautiful thing about our gym is the standard has been set by us as a group. It's not my standard. Right, we sat down and said, "What do we want to do here at Extreme Couture?" And what does everybody say? We want to win titles. That's fucking, fucking great! Dope. I love to hear that. We want to win titles. Here's the way that we're going to win titles. We're going to lay out these options. If you guys can follow these options, as little and dumb as they may sound, 
Show up on time. Show up early. Be prepared. Take care of your fucking fitness. Take care of your water into all these little, little dumb things. Slowly but surely, we'll start turning over into these wins and the process and the standard. And they go, oh, shit. It's actually working. So everybody now, I don't have to yell at people because the standard's been set. Brad Tavares will yell at somebody because why? The standard's been set. The standard's been set. It's his standard too, right? It's Francis's standard. So the fighters yell at each, hold themselves accountable? Fuck yeah, and that's what what you want. Yeah. If you set a team environment, it's not my way, it's our way. That's a real team. It's our way, right? So, I mean, I think to kind of answer your question, I don't think what you're doing is wrong. Maybe it's the approach. Maybe... This person, if you're yelling at somebody, maybe this person shells up. Whereas you yell at me, I'm like, all right, motherfucker. I like that. Let's go. Like, it's a challenge, right? Some other person might be like, no, oh, he's a dick and I don't want to work for and that. And you have to adapt to those people? Do you adapt or do you make them get harder in a way? Um, you, I think you have both. I think you have both. I think I think you. there's a give and a take there. Um, you know, when you come to my Monday practice or you come to any of my practices, they know that they're going to get 110% out of me, and I expect the same out of them. I expect prompt, on time, prepared, ready to go. I expect all those things. So I'm on the mat at 3 o'clock. Practice starts at 3.30. I'm on the mat at 3 o'clock. I'm throwing the football. I'm joking around. I'm playing music, right? But as those guys start trickling in, what you see is more and more guys start getting on the mat well before class starts, before well before 3.30. Now you get a couple stragglers that come in, right? They have reasons why most guys will write me. Hey coach, I'm running late. Cause they fucking know you're late. You got pushups. You got jump squats. That's the standard we set. I don't even have to say it. You walk on they the just mat, go in after late, knock your shit out. Everybody's watching. Everybody knows who's late. Knock it out. Be done with your shit. And then hop right back into class. Be accountable for the fact that you're late. Even if you had an excuse. Hey man, I had to pick up the kids. No problem. 10 pushups, 10 sit-ups, 10 jump squats. Not everybody has this mentality though, coach. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of guys do. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. They have it in them, but they don't. It's not out. It, it, I think I think once you're comfortable in your own skin and you know that like people are going to fall in line or, or, or believe in the process, uh, that helps a lot. You know, for me, it did take a while. Like Coach Fallis, with Coach Fallis passing away, I knew I had to kind of take the reins. Um, and Coach Fallis was grooming me that entire time, man. He always told me that. He goes, dude, you're going to be the greatest to ever do this. I'm telling you that. Do you believe that right now? Um, I tell myself that. I tell myself that. Yeah, yeah. that's dope. I don't, no, I don't believe that I am. No, I know, but right you're saying now. that's your dream. I, I think Trevor and Henry, in my mind, are two of the guys I look Henry up Huth to the most. Yeah, and Trevor Whitman. Both of them are like brothers to me. Um, I have the luxury of being able to pick up the phone and call those guys, uh, pick their brains. I, you always need somebody to chase, right? You always need somebody to chase. And in my mind, those guys do it with perfection. Um, and I love, love having those guys in my lives. So I'm able to kind of look at what they do and follow their lead and then also try to make my own path as well. You know, so those two, especially, um, there's some people you look up to, but they're friendly competition as well in a way. Oh, James Krause, you know, James, the opposing coach. Yeah. For Julian. Love James. Love the dude. Like talk to him yesterday. Right. He's my boy. Friendly competition. We're always going to be competitors, right? We're always going to want to compete. Um, you know, Mark Montoya, another great coach. We compete, we compete against each other, dude. Tip of the hat, shake of the hand after, it's going to happen. You know, I've cornered against Henry before. I've cornered against those guys. It is what it is. It's the business that we like. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of camaraderie there too. Me and Tyson Chartier, you know, Tyson and I are very, very close. 
and we had a corner against each other versus Calvin and Danny Gay. Shit oh, wow. happens. Shit happens. You know, it's part of the sport. It is what it is. But um, there's a, it's a small small net community. You know, we're, we we stick together a lot. Uh, for the most part, most of the coaches that I know when we're on the road, we're very cordial. We talk, we hang out, we have a beer, we shoot the shit. And I think that's important, you know, cause it's, it, it is, it is hard, man. It's hard being a coach. No, what coach. you just described when you said, cause what I didn't, I didn't just process, Oh, I have Danny Gay, Aljo, Francis. And, uh, who was the fourth one you said, are you at three? Uh, we had Joe, Aljo, Joe, Aljo, Dan Francis for March. So what I was March. thinking in my head was three months back for each of these fighters when the training camp starts, you already have to start game planning. You have to watch film on all their opponents. Yes. So I, I, I have one notebook, just just one notebook that's full. Um, that was for Puna, Dalsha, Brad. That was my fight island, like the first half of my notebook. What and the then fuck? I started my other notes with Joe um Aljamain pages for Aljamain um and Joe Joe's basically like all on like notes with video and then um Danny Gay for for Ryan Hall and then a whole another separate notebook just for Stipe and Francis just because I've had so much time Dude, this is a 24 7 like you yeah, cannot my take mind never really especially for it. your position like to be where you're competing with trevor whitman and not competing but you know what i mean yeah oh for sure and you you know what's great about trevor man is when uh gaethje beat tony ferguson that's when, what his most best accomplishment is oh, the progression of justin gaethje i thought it was a beautiful fight um but here's here's just kind of a glimpse of trevor and just how great of a guy he is you know he wins a title an interim title with gaethje and he writes me and says how happy he proud of me he was for the Francis fight. He just won a fucking interim title and he's like, yo, bro, I'm so proud of you. Love you, man. Trevor said to see you. Oh yeah. You know, and I'm like, damn coach, like you just won the interim title. You just dismantled fucking Tony, Tony Ferguson. Ferguson. Yeah. I'm so proud of you, you know? And that just kind of gives you a glimpse of who and who and what he is. And same thing with Henry. You know, Henry will call me or send me a note here or there. And uh just having those guys, I think kind of following your career and, and believing in you and knowing what you're capable of doing is important, even when they're outside of your own gym. Man. Gaethje huge. looks like a high IQ fighter. Like, and I'm not talking shit on, he is probably, but I'm saying I know a lot of that's because of Trevor Whitman over the percent. years. Cause oh, he was wow. nowhere near like that at the beginning oh, of his career. He no. was just looking to knock people's heads yeah, off. Yeah. If you go back and watch some of Gaethje's old fights, you can watch Trevor in the corner losing his shit because of the fight IQ. Right. And that's things that I think we take pride in when we're coaches of this stature is, is situationals and fight IQ and understanding where we're at and what we need to do. So, you know, you, you see a guy drop a fight, you know, he loses the Poirier or whatever fight, you know, he was or Eddie Alvarez, whichever one I'm sure Gates was. Or, I can't even believe he lost to Alvarez if he, the way he looks. Yeah. Out. Yeah. So but, you know, that's, it's a process. And sometimes it's, it's those losses that you need to really understand what your coach is trying to get across to you and know like, hey, we don't need to have a war. Kind of like Francis spot. progression. Yeah, I would hope so. I think I think Francis and I um, are still still writing the chapters, man. We're still writing the book, you know. And I think that's a fair criticism. People are gonna always say, "Well, we haven't really seen what Francis is capable of yet," because all he does is knock people out. What's well, a good fucking problem to have? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and I'm okay with that. If he goes in there and starches Stipe in the first round and knocks him out, I think he will. And people can go, "Oh, fucking, we still don't know if this guy can wrestle." Great. Keep guessing. Yeah. I don't fucking care. You guys have the belt at that we got point. got the belt at that point. And one day people are going to figure it out. People are going to be able to see his progression and see how far he's come. 
it's a treat for the people inside my gym. You know, people get to see it every day and what he's capable of. And everybody's like, holy shit. I'm not going to lie. I'm, this in, I'm emotionally invested in this upcoming Francis fight. Like, yeah, I think we all are. Yeah. You know? Like, I've never actually recalled pulling for a fighter so yeah, much. Yeah. I, I think Francis, you know, I was glad Francis got on Rogan and did the Rogan show because I think a lot of people were able to see who and what he is. A nice guy. He's a great guy. He's a great human being. Um, uh, what he's been through, how, he's, what, how long it took for him to get from Cameroon to Spain. Spain, Spain. Does Do you too. know his story? Oh yeah, I know his story very well. I know his story very it's crazy well. as fuck. It's crazy, and there's details too. I sat there with Matt Rogan, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Two and a half hours. There's stuff that I still didn't even know about that he went through. And were think, you on the side of Rogan? Where were you? I was. Uh, so the, the, they had the studio, and then they had like right outside the studio, they had all this like TVs and. Oh, and you were kicking there. So I just kicked it there, you know. And my my whole reason of going was to. Two reasons why it was I didn't want him to miss a workout, so he's like, "Hey, I need you to come with That's me." Dope. That's dope. That's dope. We're gonna get our work in while we're out here on the road. And then his manager Markel was a little nervous on if um, if Francis wanted to talk that long, if there's things he didn't want to discuss, just for comfort. Just for comfort, I was gonna be there for him if we needed to like me talk or do anything. That was kind of the backup plan. He did amazing, bro. He I know it. the story was amazing. We actually ran out of time. We had to we had to get on the plane. So Joe's like, "Shit, you guys gotta go. Like, we gotta cut this off and get out of here." He, you said it best. He's a very genuine person. I saw on Instagram like your family's close with him now. Like, oh, we're, we've all been. That's yeah. like a brother to you now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, and I and I want that. I want that relationship for my family. Do you think it's better for a coach to have that relationship with a fighter? I personally do. Some coaches I know have been vocal about not having that relationship. They they, they like to draw the line between coach and fighter. And that's fine. I think if it works for them, it works for them. Here's my thing is I'm one. I'm a big family guy. I've been married to my wife for a long time. We've been high school sweethearts. Oh, wow. The Holy one shit. thing in life that we never get back is our time. Right. So what's important for me is that my family understands who is getting that time if it's not them. Right. So if my time is going to somebody or some person that they're able to see who and what that time goes to. Now they're invested into Francis. I see on your snaps, right? yeah, your whole family. So it's, that's what's important to me is, okay, maybe dad's not here this weekend for the Super Bowl, but he's at least he's with Francis. And Francis is getting that time for, with dad. So we don't feel as left out, mm -hmm. right? That the, that the end game goal is to go get the title, right? And everything else is going to fall into place for us and the family and everything. Your right? kids love Francis they too. They love him to death. They love him to death, and he loves them equal. Like it's it's amazing to watch the the, the interactions between my kids. I feel like he's one of the nicest people in the UFC. He's, he's 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 amazing, man. He's great, and obviously, you look at the man. He's he's scary. He's big. He's strong. He's powerful. He knocks people out cold. And then you watch him with my little son, and they're fucking. Yeah, that's what I was laughing. At. I remember. Best buds, yeah. you know, and. So it's, it's always nice to know that like, you know, he's part of that family. And I think COVID brought that out, right? You know, we were in quarantine together, essentially. I was training him. He was going home. He didn't have anybody at home. He's like, I was like, bro, come over for dinner. He's like, well, I don't know, man. Like we're supposed to be quarantining. I'm like, bro, you and I train every day. So if you got it, I got it. You might as well come over and have dinner with the family, you know, and I talk to the wife and kids and they're like, no, no, no. We need to have him come over because depression was going you know people were fucking at home all day and not being able to get out it was important to bring them over and i that's when i feel like the family bond started to kind of mesh and i know. think you are where you are 
it's from this interview, what I got from it is you are where you are and you got these accolades. And, you know, I personally, I'm not saying this because I'm biased, but I've actually, you know, when I hear, when you hear Luke Thomas address you by name as that, you got to go. That's my favorite MMA analyst. He's the yeah, smartest one in the game. Luke's amazing, man. He does, he, he trains. I know he does, but yeah. like, not like you. It's crazy that his fight IQ is that fucking. No, high. Luke is amazing at his job. Um, And little known secret, I actually reach out to Luke quite a bit. I love Luke, on, man. On I ask him questions on shit. Really? Oh, yeah, man. Like, why not? He's a great source of information, right? Like, if you have access to a Bro, library, he, are you just going to read the one book or are you going to try no, to read all right. of them? So, you know, I have access to Luke Thomas. I have access to Dan Tom. There's some great Trevor Whitman. Trevor Whitman. You know, Dan Tom is a, is a, is a, a training partner of mine that I've known for a long time who does a phenomenal job of breaking down fights as a podcast guy. Um, he does the Protect Your Neck podcast. So, shout out to Dan Tom. But I mean, what he does breaking down shit is right up my wheelhouse. You do that now. Oh, I mean, you love that. I shit. love it. I love that. <laughs> you shit. love that. But so I, much. I love reading Dan's breakdowns. I, and, and there's been times over the years, Dan, what are you seeing here? He goes, E, I've seen X, Y, and Z. Fuck. I didn't look at that. That's a good call. Let me go back and check that. Cause there's another set of eyes that I trust in Dan or Luke Thomas. Or you guys. do that to Luke. Luke will help. I've called Luke a That's number crazy. of times on stuff. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about even if it has anything to do with my fighter? Hey, what do you think about this situation? You trust his opinion that I much. Trust his opinion. I think he's a phenomenal journalist. I he think is. I, I I watch his dissected. He does the great job with the dissected with the fucking coach cam and look at this angle and look at this and look at that. I just watched his breakdown of Stipe in uh, DC just two days ago. In the office, watching them break down that again. So when you when you have it, you have it, man. When you understand the the sport and you understand the X's and O's of the sport, I don't care if you fought or not. You're able to break it down and 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 be able to tell the person on what they're looking for and what they're doing the way he does. What's I mean, different about him? And I'm not. I don't know the personal lives of other MMA analysts, but I remember when like eight seven years ago when he started his live chat, he took it upon himself to start training so he wouldn't so he could back it up for sure. And I think that's. You know, for me, I don't have a professional record, right? But I've been at you train every day. for 15 yeah. fucking years. So you want to talk about learning on the fly. Do all coaches have professional records? No. Not all do. Yeah, no, there's no, no way. No, 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 not all do. And for me, I think it was a good – it's good because I come in as a clean slate. You know, I look at Ray Seffo, one of my coaches. Ray Seffo fought a specific way for all of his career, right? Ray's a fucking banger in the pocket, kickboxing, hard-hitting – cruiserweight light heavy you know and ray style is, is very specific for him but i'm able to take ray style and apply it to the fighters that need it and then i'm able to take Dwayne style because i'm a ludwig guy and apply it to where they need it one of the best of all time one of the best of all time right and that's where my lineage is under for is Dwayne ludwig and then ray Sefo, right so then you start blending those guys and then i'm able to pick up the phone and call coach trevor hey what are you doing here I like this. I like that. Boom. Apply that. Hey, Henry, what are you doing here? Boom. So some of the best fucking minds in the game, I'm able to pick and move and, and figure out what I like. And then I'm able to implore all that into Randy Couture style. You know, that's why I think, I think you're the best, not just because of, I think you also, what I, what I alluded to is you're a, a very real, like authentic human being. Like you don't yeah. fuck around. You don't bullshit. You don't need to mess with something that's not you you know what i mean you don't have time yeah and i think the fact that you're willing to have this relationship 
with your fighters might be the reason why you know you're rated as the best in the world it could be man uh, and i would like to think so because you know i think it is important i think the fighter is. trusts you like he fully trusts you the fighter trusts you but there's a moment of intimacy there um that you have to have when you're on the stool you get on the stool with the fighter and you look at him for a minute and they're fucking down two rounds the way you know shots james Krause and julian he needed to go get a finish right he 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 was able to get that information I can't across. Even that fight, that was the craziest fight. Crazy fight. On the flip side, I'm doing the same thing with Maki. You know, we've had that connection. We've worked hard together, right? So you're trying to you're trying to um, use the sweat equity, if you will, the time that you spend on the mat with one another, and figure out the best way to motivate them. What what can you draw on? What triggers them? Is it a, is it a kid? Is it a wife? Is it a life experience? Is it whatever it may be? But knowing and understanding who and what they're there for and why they fight is very important, man, because you can draw on those things. And one last question I want to ask you is about my boy Ryder. Uh, yeah. Um, how is he looking? How's What's the plan with him? Do you think he's... I love the kid, man. He's, he, he loves you too. Yeah, he posts he, about he, you all the time. He's, he's amazing, dude. He's he's definitely... He is... I, I shower that kid with tough love. I do. And a lot of that reasons, I think, is because I see a lot of him in me, me and him. Um... You know, I was a troubled kid. I, I got, I got, I got a lot of, lot of problems. I had a lot of issues as a, as a kid coming up, and he does as well. And when I saw him when he came to Extreme Couture, it was one of those things where I just looked at this kid. I'm like, fuck, this is, this was me 10, 15 years ago. You know what I mean? And he was asking for a favor. You know, will you take, will you take me in? Will you do this? Will you do that? And I didn't want him. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Your kid. heart spoke to you. Then he goes, oh, bro, like I went to Green Valley. And, <laughs> you know, John Ferry told me to, you know, the coach Ferry said fucking to talk to you. And I was like, God damn it, this kid. Uh, you know, he's he gro he's grown on me, man. Like I've always loved the kid. He he frustrates the shit out of me at times. Um, but I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, had a, I had a huge soft spot for the kid. He works his ass off. Um, I believe in him. He, I think he yeah. will make the UFC at this rate. I think so too. You know, he's doing all the right things. That's he went what I'm out saying. to Arizona to go train with uh, Eddie Chaw to help Eric Anders get ready for uh, his fight. It's a great experience for him. He gets to step outside of the Extreme Couture umbrella and go experience. He was Eric him. Anders' training partner? Yeah, Eric brought him out. So Eric comes and trains with us all the time out in Vegas. Um, he's from Alabama. He went over there to get some work in with those guys at Fight Ready. He calls Ryder, says, hey, is it cool? Can you come out? They called me, coach, is it okay if he comes? Fuck yeah, absolutely. It's a field trip for the kid. You know, he gets to go out there and experience what a fight camp looks like. You know, it's important. For the UFC. Yeah, man. You know, and Eddie Chaw is a fucking phenomenal coach, right? Santino, all those guys over at Fight Ready. So I know he's in good hands and he's going to learn more shit, right? He's coming back though, right? Well, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. coming back. But I mean, as a, as a coach, as a coach, you can't just fucking – be nope, greedy. Nope, you can't go there, bro. Right? What does it say about my ego? Oh, this guy's fucking insecure. Yeah. Hey, bro, my wife can go to ladies' night. Go out with your girls. <laughs> go ahead. Facts. Go drink. Party. Facts. Whatever the fuck you want to do. I know you're coming home. Right? I want him to go out and train, experience that. Eddie, 
all those guys. He's going to learn some good shit over there at Fight Ready. And he's going to come back better. I already know. No, I think his work ethic is outstanding. He's a good guy, too. He's a good guy. He works hard. He trains hard. Um, his game is going through the roof. I think he's going to come back even better. He sends me all of his sparring rounds. I watch all of his rounds. I critique him. I send him right back to him. We'll FaceTime. We'll his talk. striking's getting better, you think? I think his striking's... I his think last his striking, fight looked good. I actually yeah, watched his, it. His striking's actually very good because he, he, he knows who and what he is. He needs to be a wrestler that can strike. Okay. Right? So when he, when he starts falling in love with his hands, he's just going to go and knock people out. He forgets who and what he is. Right? But once he wrestles and implores his wrestling game on somebody, and then his striking has more validity. I'm able to change levels. I'm able to make this guy worried about the takedown. His hands start to drop. I can come over top. I can hit him. Then I can get back to the legs, you know, and rinse and repeat. So he's going to be he's going to be a problem. He's going to be a fucking problem. I'm telling you. So, I think all your guys are at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Especially, and I think that, as you said, like your gym. I always thought. I mean, I've, I've not known anything else, but especially now because I pay attention to MMA, your gym's getting really recognized. I think your prospects are gonna you know, yeah. go through the roof in the upcoming yeah, years. There's some guys in there right now that are just stone cold killers. You is know? that how it works? By the way, the better your gym's rep is, the more prospects you can get. Um, you know, could be. Uh, you know, I know it's a lot of homegrown talent. To be quite honest with you, um, you know, Montel Williams, Ryder. You know, there's guys, Miles Hunsinger. I know this guy um, named Wong, Boston. I think. Boston Salmon. Yeah. He Boston's was. amazing. He's a featherweight, moved him up to featherweight. Um, he was a bantamweight for a while. I had two fights in the UFC. Unfortunately, he got I cut. I saw those, yeah. But I think a lot of that had to do with the weight cutting process for him. He had a fight at featherweight. He was winning the whole fight and got illegally need. Um, so he got he got the win, but it didn't beat him by DQ. But unfortunately, Boston took the blunt end of a, of a fucking need. I um, saw that, so yeah. So awful. But he's back in the room. He's an amazing talent, an amazing talent. I think I think you'll see Boston back in the UFC with a couple more wins. You think that was just a young skirmish at the beginning of his career? I think it was the weight cut. I think oh, this okay. guy, this guy's bigger than Dan Ige, was cutting for a weight class below us. Oh, what? Yeah. So I think that was a. I think that was an issue early in his career. Uh, Robert Fallis wanted him to cut cut down on this, and it was just too much of a weight cut for him. You know, not blaming that on Robert, but yeah. it, just, it just was a big fucking it was a big cut. So over time, I think that it was just taking too much out of him, you know, and that what it does to the brain health. So I think I think Boston will be right back in there. Uh, Juan Juan Camilo, one twenty five er. He gives all those fucking guys fits in the room. He has great rounds with Joe B. I think Juan's going to be another guy in the UFC here quick too. Coach, um, it it was a pleasure talking to you. Honestly, um, yeah, always, brother. Great conversation. Uh, a lot more comfortable than the first one for me personally. And you know, it was just a pleasure watching your progression, especially just Thank because. You. First, the first time I I, met, I heard of you, I was like, oh my god, he just cornered Jessica. I let me let's try and get him on. Now you're fighting for the heavyweight championship, the the featherweight or bant bantamweight championship. Bantamweight, yep. And the heavyweight. That's it. Those are the only two, right? Two yeah. in March. Yep. So thank you for coming on, Coach. My um, pleasure, brother. I really appreciate you. And as I said, guys, I'm actually emotionally invested in these fights. So yep. I'm very excited well, for the month we'll of March. We'll be back after we get those straps and then we'll celebrate. Hopefully, yes, sir.